0: We just want to give a shout-out to our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support.
1: First up, we have our amazing initial supporters that we wanted to do a little bit of a longer uh, shout-out to. First up, we have Christina. Uh, I have known her since, like, my high school days, and it means so, so much that you are supporting us, both on comments on Instagram and liking everything and giving us feedback in patreon and supporting us that way i just i'm all tongue-tied and gushy because i love you and i appreciate you and thank you so much if if i had pan's golden fleece you would be the person i sacrificed myself to get it for so just so you know we're on that level and then we have tegan Hey, Deegan! I actually shouted you out in the first episode because you're who I like got my like foundations of cross-stitching from. So, I love and appreciate you and I think about you all the time and I miss you bunches. And thank you for letting me come pick dandelions from your yard for jelly. And the real purpose of this whole shout-out is to say thank you for Patreon, but you're so, so much more and your constant support of us for this podcast is huge. And... I, like, cannot overstate the impact it has had on us just to have you supporting us and commenting and being willing to come be a guest speaker at some point. It means so, so much. And I would go all the way to Hades, to the underworld, and sacrifice all seasons to be down there for you, even though I'm really, truly a Persephone and need to be outside in the sun because... I'm a little flower. I'm a little flower. But we love you. We appreciate you guys. Thank you so, so much. Both of you mean so, so much to us. And Jesse and I just, like, keep, like,
0: oh, my God, we have some Oh, my God. Yeah, I think we both just about fell out of our chairs when we realized we hadn't even released an episode yet and we had two supporters. So thank you so much for just giving us that initial drive to get going. And you are like forever in the Gorgon history books because you're going to be on this episode forever. And if anyone else wants to be shouted out in an episode, this is the way to do it. Get on our Patreon. Lowest tier is $1 a month and you will forever be in the books of Gorgon history. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: all right thanks everyone we really appreciate you guys but especially our patreon subscribers we have some special content coming out first of july just for y'all so take care bye Bye.
0: i'm jesse of a polar night
1: and i'm heather with tangled bee crafts
0: And together we are
1: the not so crafty Gorgons. And we have a super special guest that I'm super duper 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 excited about. Courtney Yamola. Because I love you so much. I am so excited you're here with us. Thank you. Thank you for being our first like real person guest.
2: Versus not real?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Versus our imaginary friends. Um tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do and why I asked you to be here.
2: Well, um, I think we've known each other for like what, five or six years. Um, it's been a long time, I guess now. Wow. Yeah, gosh. It's
1: weird. Um,
2: gosh, um, we started working together with children. Um, and so I've been working with children and families for probably about 10 years now. And, um, I have my master's in counseling and i've been a clinician for for about 10 years now and i've been working with them in uh like in home in home therapy office based uh doing crisis response and residential and stuff and so that's kind of like my professional background still working with children now um and so yeah and then craft wise um i enjoy doing crafts and um, you actually are the one who taught me how to cross stitch. And so, um, which is one of my favorite crafts to do. So I'm really appreciative of that.
1: Oh, yeah, no, it's super funny. I remember because Tegan taught me and then I taught you. So it's yeah. just like weird. chain. Yeah. You didn't read the part that I wrote for you in the script that you're literally a godsend to all children because uh, you would actually murder any adult who tried to hurt children. Um, but I, I just read that, that on purpose. Yeah, that would implicate you in some stuff. So I'm gonna read it for yeah. you,
2: so it's not a confession. Thanks, if I read it. It's not a confession. Is but it's hearsay at this point. Yeah, but then doesn't that implicate you in potential murder as well? Because then you're like, no, I said excited. this about
1: you. It's my opinion.
2: But you know it. Don't I you just noticed your that?
1: response. <laughs> you're ridiculous.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm glad. I'm glad to know you actually read the the note. I did read it. Yes.
2: No. Right.
1: Being sick and like having 8,000 things on your plate. No,
2: absolutely. But no. And part of my job right now is definitely to advocate for kids and families. And so I do take that very, very seriously. Um, but no, I don't cause bodily harm to others. On purpose. No, you just cause bodily harm to yourself on accident. Well, it's not intentionally. I just, I fall a lot. Oh, goodness, Heather. I've missed you. i missed you. <laughs> Jesse's like, what is going on?
0: like, who are these people? I'm just I'm happy with? to be here. It's <laughs> fine. I mean, that's how I do life. I'm like, okay, yep, this is what's happening and we're here. I'm just down to party all the time.
2: <laughs> Especially with crafts.
0: Also, I apologize to any listeners in case we're not able to end this out. My animals are behind us just absolutely losing their shit. And they never do this. And I don't really know what's going on, but
2: yeah. But they're so adorable.
0: They are really cute. Miss Waffles is wearing a cone because she got spayed. So
2: well, we should craft her cone and make it pretty. We should. I will like
1: embroider, like punch little holes and embroider it. That'd be cute.
0: Well, now we know what Heather's going to be doing after we're done filming. So can you tell us and our listeners like what crafts you do? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but can you expand on that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So I absolutely love cross-stitching. And like I said, Heather taught me that. Um, I like to pour paint, um, making massive messes in my husband's garage, which he absolutely adores, of course. Um, Adult coloring. I'm counting that as a craft because I love to color. Really bad at drawing, but coloring is a lot of fun. I recently started to teach myself how to embroider um, because that kind of falls in with that cross-stitch thing. I also like to paint minis for d and d um and then I also kind of dabble with natural dyeing um and so dyeing my own Ada and then I want to start dyeing my own thread sometime soon so those are kind of the crafts that i i I'm really big into right now.
1: super cool so uh what whips are you working on right now, Miss Courtney? Oh
2: gosh, I have like a never ending basket of them. it feels like. <laughs> it's the basket of shame or something I feel like um got a huge massive pile but right now I would say my major one that I'm working on is like this mini starry night by Van Gogh um it's got a lot of confetti stitching which I haven't ever done before and even though it's small it's like a full coverage small piece which I've never done as well and so trying to do something new and kind of expand my my horizons and trying just something new but I really like Van Gogh and I thought it was a really cool piece and so just a little piece and I was like oh I can have little mini masterpieces all over my house Um, so working on that right now I love that
0: that's such a good idea like I love that like the little mini masterpieces that's such a cute idea
2: Yeah. I think the next one I'll do is from Las Meninas. It's one of my favorite Spanish paintings. And so I'm really excited about that one as well. It came, like I bought it off of, I think it was off of Etsy, but it had like all these 50 different masterpieces that you could cross stitch. So it could be a museum. (laughs) What are you guys working on?
0: So right now I'm working on that like geode pillow. I've also been working on researching because, you know, right now I'm researching an episode on memorial crafts, but part of that ties in with personal stuff where I have some skirts that I need to convert and I'll get into that once we do that episode. But I'm looking into putting backing on stretchy and knit fabric so that I can make things Mm -hmm. into memorial pillows and a a memorial plant made with Mm -hmm. fabric. So that's, I'm in the planning stages and then I'm also trying to work on some Punch needle coasters because I have these coasters that I love that are tile that a friend made for me. But I've tried like eight different types of coatings. I'm just not, I don't work with resin anymore. So I don't want to resin dip them. But they are, they stick to the bottoms of my coffee cup. So I have spilled so many cups of coffee because it'll have the coaster stick to the bottom and then the coaster falls off and then the coffee gets unbalanced and spills on me. So I need to make new coasters just specifically for hot drinks. So I think Punch Needle is going to be a really good way to deal with that. Like how you're solving problems. <laughs> what about you, Heather? I
1: am working on a floor blanket for baby Cass right now, a double-stranded yarn thing, um, which will be featured in our Yarn Love Challenge Stripes on Stripes post. But yeah, so I'm working on that. And then I've got a couple of cross stitches forever in the queue going. I, I like, I feel like I can never finish cross stitches. I don't know. I love cross stitching. I love starting projects I don't know about the finishing piece though I Absolutely. struggle with that I struggle it's with that it's so fun to like kit them up and then be like "Ooh, I have this thread for them I can't wait to see it finished six months later yeah that's my life and then I'm working on a crochet elven bag right now it's supposed to have like a lot of different textures like leaves and stuff and bobbles and I'm using it with a bunch of like leftover yarn stuff so it's going to be kind of hodgepodge together so I'm curious to see if that's actually going to look good that's fun oh and then I'm working on a wreath right now that I've never I've never done a wreath before not a wreath person but something got up my butt and I'm like I gotta make a wreath I'm going to be Martha Stewart. That's what's going on right now.
0: You know, that's really funny because since we painted our front door, uh, I've been thinking like, man, this would look so much better with a wreath on it. So (laughs) now I'm thinking about making a wreath. (laughs) Same thing where I've been like, oh, old people make wreaths. And I'm like, but wreaths are cool. And I'm like, well, there's your sign.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm an elder millennial now. Well,
2: maybe Heather can make you one. (laughs) Heather's face is like, oh. I'm (laughs) struggling so much to finish
1: the what I'm doing. Like it's been an ongoing progress thing for like months now. Like I got the supplies for it in December and I'm just now actually starting to put pieces together. Baby steps. Yeah. Baby steps, right? It'll be like the five-year wreath. That'll be how I market it. All right, Miss Courtney. So we're going to start asking you some questions and tap into some of that professional knowledge, if that's all right with you. Oh yeah. I'll try.
0: <laughs> cool. Thanks. So um, you work with kids professionally, and I'm always curious because, you know, I worked with kids as a foster parent in the past. So I'm always curious what kind of brings people to that table. So can you just tell us a little bit about why you chose to work with children in a mental health capacity?
2: Absolutely. First off, I do want to thank you for being a foster parent. Like, we absolutely need those. So I uh, honor you for, for doing that. Thank you very much for doing that. But uh, growing up, I had some really cool mentors. They really changed the trajectory of my life in a lot of different ways. You know, it's really hard being a kid. It's really hard being a teenager. We, we know that teenagers are struggling a lot with depression, emotions, suicide, um, a lot of different things. Um, and a lot of times adults really don't know how to interact with you. Um, you know, they'll talk over you they'll talk around you and it, it's just it's really hard and so i know for me one of my favorite people growing up was a lady named holly Proseda. and she was definitely one of my mentors and she was into the counseling field but she was also she was a volleyball coach and she's an all-around really great person and she kind of treated me like an equal she would take me out on coffee dates ice cream dates and just hang out with me and i felt like a person i felt like i had value And I remember when I was in college trying to decide what I was going to do next after I graduated with my undergraduate, she was like, what are you, why don't you look at counseling? Because I really liked working with youth and kids at the time. And I was like, oh, I kind of would like to do that. And so I'm going to be honest, one of the main reasons I'm in the field is because of her, because she uh, had been such a good example for me um, and just had made such a, a huge impact on my life. And so I know that there were some really dark times for me and that part of the reason that I'm still around is because of her, you know, she took that time and poured into me. And so I thought, you know, if I could just take even half of that energy, half of that light and be able to pour back into the kids around me, I would really like to do that. And so that's kind of why I became a counselor and also why I've stayed in it just because I've been able to work with some really amazing kids. I've been very, very grateful and that I haven't lost any kids yet. And I, you know, just continuing to work with them, continuing to spend time with them and making them feel like people because they do have value meeting them where they're at.
1: Oh, that's amazing. I love you so much.
2: <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Don't cry.
1: Right. <laughs> like, I've seen your beautiful work in action. Um,
2: <laughs> so what are your biggest takeaways working with kids? They will constantly surprise you. <laughs> especially you know when when i th- was thinking about it for for this podcast you know constantly surprise you with their creativity you know i think sometimes adults think at times that we need you know all of these supplies and rules to create or you know when we're working with kids and they can make crafts and games out of rocks or sticks or leaves that they find on the ground and so you know, not putting them into these little boxes that, oh, just because they're a teenager, they have all this angst, um, and they're going to be, um, this angsty little depressed teenager, but, you know, they're these beautiful souls that deserve to be listened to, deserve to be uplifted, uh, and they do have value. And so, you know, they want to be met at their level and they want to be heard. And so making sure that we're there for them. Awesome. Uh, what is
1: your funniest or most favorite memory crafting with kids?
2: So it's not very funny. I will acknowledge that. But I think one of my favorites is and it's going back to this adult coloring cuz I do count that as crafting. I had a teen who had been going through some some pretty dark things. He had burned through two other clinicians in our practice with what I guess they deemed very little progress. And I decided to take her to a coffee shop and I brought out my, you know, my really good markers and some fun coloring pages. And I remember, you know, she was super surprised when I pulled out my coloring book and at first was like, no way I'm doing that. Like I'm a teenager, I am not going to be coloring. And I was like, well, that's fine. You don't have to, I'm going to though. And like 30 minutes later though, she was drawing and coloring and she was talking. And it's funny cause she reached out to me six months ago she's in her third year of college studying to be a counselor and like yeah that that's why I do this job you know she we we continued it with a lot of hard work acknowledging that but just some simple coloring pages and some markers and not giving up on the kids
1: yeah oh that's awesome
2: Yeah, I've got goosebumps still thinking about it. (laughs) I was able to go to the kids' graduation when they graduated from high school, and it was real nice. Yeah, just don't give up. So, what are some things that you've seen
0: adults do wrong when crafting with kids?
2: Oh, this is one (laughs) that always gets me telling the kid they're doing their craft wrong. That it just, oh, you know, and I've seen it happen a lot. Like, and I, you know, we, we go to do a craft. We're doing a group craft. And yes, we have some guidelines, maybe like, you know, don't stick a glue stick up your nose. Cool, great. Yeah, let's let's make sure that we have those safety things going on. If the kid wants to put the eyeball on the back of it instead of the front, let them. Like, that is okay. Don't tell the child that they're doing their craft wrong. You know, crafting and playing During play, kids are, you know, taking on the roles of adults, you know, they're learning how to conquer their fears, dealing with any difficulties that they're facing in their life, they're learning to build problem solving, um, developing resiliency, that's going to help them later on in their life. And so if while they're crafting slash playing, we're telling them that they're doing it wrong, then they're learning that, well, how I'm, learning how to face my fears or learning how to handle my emotions is wrong as well. And so we're, we're stamping that creativity out of them. What does it matter if they've color, colored outside their lines? If it's their picture, what does it matter? Just because it doesn't conform to your idea of what the, the pumpkin should look like, it doesn't matter. If they get, they cut outside of the line, it doesn't matter. So I think that's that's one of been one of my biggest things is like, you know, we don't have to tell the kid that they're doing it wrong. We can offer suggestions in kind and gentle ways. But if a kid is insistent that the sky is purple, it's not going to hurt anything. I understand if it's for homework or something like that and we're learning colors, that's something completely different. If we're doing a craft for fun, give them that space to be creative because some of the best work sometimes comes out of that. And like, I bet some of the artists... And museums and things have created things just because they're randomly creating. I mean, some of these it could be stifling the next Picasso, who knows? And so, just give them that space. Yeah, I remember this
1: kindergarten teacher screaming at me for cutting circles not it wasn't even like real circles, but like I was supposed to cut squares and I was cutting circles. And it was for some like Valentine's Day craft thing. And I couldn't in Heather brain, I was like, I can't make a perfect square. So I'm going to make this wonky circle instead. And I remember her like, just like making little baby Heather cry in front of everybody. And like, I think that's like, to this day, why I get like anxious with scissors and paper crafts, like, because I'm like, I don't want to do it wrong. Like there's too much at stake here. So yeah I think I think you're absolutely right that it does have a pretty big impact on people and how they relate to that craft or that action later.
2: I'm just thinking that long-term consequence that anxiety like that carries you know because especially if it's a teacher and like granted we're talking maybe you know granted yes you want them to learn proper ways if it's related to And granted we could get into the whole conversation about institutionalized learning and everything like that but that's potentially for another episode, but, you know, getting them comfortable with it. But, the, the, you know, there's these people in authority who are telling them, you're doing it wrong. And we might have people then who are afraid to do any crafts at all then in the future, because all of the joy was sucked out of that, you know? And so, you know, for adults who who want to work with kids, you know, making sure that they have that balance of, letting the kids have that creativity, having the patience with them. If, and, and granted, I, I have a touch of OCD at times. And so, oh, that's not how we're doing the craft. Oh gosh, that looks horrible. But, and so like, you know, I'm cringing inside. I can say those things internally though. This kid who You know, because granted, the kids I work with are traumatized. And so this kid, though, who's already has that trauma, who you may not even know what's going on in their life at home, you know, doesn't need my additional, no, you're doing that wrong. Oh, that's, oh, oh, how dare you glue that upside down? Oh, my goodness. It doesn't have three eyes. Well, maybe it does. Maybe they're going to be able to be a famous author someday about a three-eyed pumpkin. Who knows?
0: Um, I think that's really valid, especially because like now in social media culture, we have this idea of the outcome versus the process. And I think that parents will put that on their children and they put unnecessary expectations. And I do think a lot of, I I personally, my personal philosophy is 90% of our unhappiness in our lives comes from having expectations that aren't necessarily realistic. And I think it can carry over in all these different facets and social media culture is especially tainting us. It's making so when parents do kids with their crafts, we're thinking about what they can post and share with friends versus their children actually learning the skill, I feel like. I don't think it's everyone, but we have a, and it's not me demonizing those parents, we have a culture shift that has valued that now.
2: Yeah, no, I, I really like that point. It, it's just that pressure to to perform and that pressure to be perfect when, let's be real, we're not. We're, we're dirty, messy humans, and that's okay, because would you rather your kid not make a craft at all, so you don't have anything to put on your fridge? I, I wouldn't. I mean, maybe some parents would. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite pictures that I have up in my office are from half scribbled things. I think I, I still have one from Luca, I think, from from your kiddo, uh, <laughs> randomly in a drawer, you know, because it's just, oh, the kid thought of me. They made this. It's adorable. I love it.
0: Actually, I have an example too, is our caseworker, when I was a foster parent, said, hey, why don't you do a Mother's Day craft for mom, but also I have one of these for you. And it was a little canvas to do a handprint on. And the first one that kiddo did, she moved her hand from side to side. So it's not a handprint. It's, a, it's like a movement handprint. So I actually kept that one for myself and I gave bio mom the, the perfect one. Because I liked that memory of her not really understanding what we were doing. She was familiar with paint and we smear paint. And so in her mind, that's what she was doing is she was like, we're going to take this paint. We're going to smear it. And me holding her hand still was so confusing for her. She got it. Like we did a couple practice ones after that because I had actually just gone. I was like, yeah, we're just going to do this. And I learned like, oh, her brain doesn't know what we're doing. She does not understand the concept of making a handprint yet. And I love that I still have it because it's just, it's just a sweet little memory now. And I think destroying that expectation makes it better. That's a
2: beautiful example. I love that.
1: Yeah. So uh, what are your recommendations for adults who want to craft with kids?
2: I think have patience, especially if you,
1: I know, right.
2: Um, craft. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry.
1: Courtney and I have some workplace trauma related to patients and working with
2: children, with adults, other adults, not us. <laughs> oh, gosh, Sorry. not telling the kid that they're doing the craft wrong. Um, that's that's one of my huge triggers. But letting them have that space. I mean, you can set them up and have those expectations. Not expectations. That's a wrong word. But set them up Boundaries. and have like thank you boundaries create that safe place so like yeah no we're not going to drink the paint but not chastising them if they decide to do something just a little bit differently because they may create a completely new and beautiful thing that you're not expecting because that's happened a lot be prepared to be messy because kids are messy especially if you're using paint or shaving cream or who knows what also like let it be child led a lot of times because that's when the kids have the most fun but I think also the fact that you're spending time with them and doing a craft with them is going to mean the world to them you know going back to like bringing in social media bringing in our phones so often we don't have the times to spend and so the fact that we're actually taking the time to do a craft and sitting down with them and spending that time with them is so very important. And so I think those would be some of the, my major recommendations.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I will say like when I've led classes with students at like the Library for Lions Club, one of the things we did was storm in a cup where it was like I had barely any notice that I was doing this because some somebody else had bailed and so i was like well i guess i'm showing up and doing this now yay and i i just was going with like what supplies i had and it was like i have a bunch of clear plastic cups for some random reason and pom pom balls and glue really storms in a cup it was the dumbest idea i think i've ever had like realists would not make a pinterest hall of fame board by any means but you know, all the kids were engaged and all the kids made stuff. And it was just like, there was very loose rules of like, whatever you do has to be in or on the cup. That's it. It's the only rule. And kids had fun with it, you know, and they all made something and they all probably promptly went into the trash within a couple of weeks of going home. But, you know,
2: it was, it was fun. It was ac- activity, activity. And there was, a, and there was a book that went with it too. So that played yeah. and I think they liked that it had a correlation. True, true. Creative.
1: You're so good. No, no, not at all. Next for this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, child development with crafting and kind of how child development overlaps with crafts and what makes sense to do with children and kind of ways you can help foster that development. And I know Jesse, you have a lot of personal experience with ways that you were very intentional with crafting to try to help with making up for some deficits that some students that you worked with had. And then Courtney, you obviously have a ton of professional experience so we'll be tapping into that. But we are, for listeners at home, we are going to be following Piaget's stages of development. So we'll take a few minutes, like each stage, to kind of break it down. Um, but if I remember correctly, there's like four stages. So the first stage is a sensory motor stage for birth to two years of age. So yeah, Courtney, do you feel comfortable talking about the physical brain and what's going on with that? For Or I can cover it either way. I've never been good talking about the physical brain,
2: you I know that. The
1: physical brain. I know
2: that's why I'm like, I don't want
1: the feelings. I want the physical mushy stuff. You've got the physical stuff I can talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So zero to two, we have a lot of rapid brain growth. And then this weird thing that happens right around two years of age is this like massive pruning. So like up until two years eight of age, Babies are like super sponges, right? And even beyond other super sponges, but really intense at this age. And then at two, what happens is this massive pruning where their brain is like, oh, we're learning so many things. We're running out of space. We need to kind of like cut the shit that's not working, that's not really being used. And so this is why toddlers are neurotic terrorists. Like, <laughs> absolutely. They have no control over what's happening to them in their brains because like their brains are just like, need this we don't need this we don't need this and it's happening constantly at that age and so like their neurons are firing and their neurons are the little pieces in their brains that tell them messages and control how they act and behave and feel and so when there's this pruning happening sometimes like pruning one piece impacts all these other pieces that it was connected to and so like that's why it's called the terrible twos So the brain is doing a lot of super fun
0: stuff. When I took child development, I remember we were talking about this stage and specifically talking about like the way sugar and salt will kind of fire those neurons. And I just remember the teacher described it as them lighting up like Christmas tree lights. So I just want you to know when you're talking about children and neurons, I am picturing their brains as like little Christmas tree lights. So now you all get to do that forever too.
1: Yay, Christmas lights that's a fun imagery. Yeah. Yeah. So like the other thing that's important to understand is that at this stage, kiddos are really understanding the world through coordinating sensory experiences and motor skills. So like, oh, I touched this and it hurt. Oh, I put my toe in my mouth and it tasted good. So I'm going (laughs) to keep doing it. Sorry, I have my baby through that stage right now. <laughs> like I'm struggling. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the main objective in this developmental stage is understanding that things happen in the external world with or without art influencing them. And this really comes into the concept of object permanence.
2: Yeah, and like you're saying, you know, they're using those senses and motor skills. And so with that, they're getting to know those items by kind of their use and so that's why sometimes if you use an item wrong or something wrong I'm using that the kid may "Ah, why are you using it like that no we use it like this we do it like this and so we're not doing that kind of symbolic thinking yet we're not there we're kind of very much in this and so that's where they're learning some of this stuff I don't know if that's, is that what you're wanting yes, to know? Perfect, perfect. perfect. So we wanted to talk
1: a little bit about craft activities to do with kids in this stage. Because again, it really is about that experiential piece where it's getting those senses engaged. So do you two have some suggestions on this for our listeners? I know with babies, it's really important to use like high contrast colors.
2: Mm-hmm. Like we've said, you know, using as many of those senses as we can. And so, you know, using finger paints, obviously you want to be careful when you're using it with little littles, you know, because, you know, they'll put things in their mouth immediately. And so depending on the age, but those things that have, if they have texture, if they have scent, you know, if you want to use mashed potatoes, because then it is edible, you know, shaving cream, you know, that's why they have those things for baths that can make the baths be different, weird and things like that. And so as many textures as possible, I know that some people will go and create those rice or bean, what do they call and those? And even- Yeah. And they create those little trays and you'll put like little other toys in them and they can find them. And so it's kind of like a sensory tray. Um, And those can be really good for kids too.
0: So for my part, I've never really parented a neurotypical child, a non-traumatized child. All of the children that came through had, you know, either fetal alcohol spectrum disorders or that honestly, that combined with trauma, they had other trauma. So I've never actually parented a child who was at the developmental stage that they were expected to be at so frequently i was doing a lot of these activities with two-year-olds with three-year-olds with children who had lacked a little bit of that stimulation and helping them catch up when we were doing early intervention so this is interesting for me because again i took um i actually ended up taking a class so i could figure out like what what is the actual typical experience because i have no idea where they're like quote unquote supposed to be not that like you know there's an expectation but kind of trying to figure out what I should be doing to help keep them on track and get them ready for school. And so this is, really interesting. Cause like I did a lot of things with textures with like two and three year olds. I did a lot of things with, uh, you know, we'd pull in bins of snow from outside and you know, yep. it's in the Arctic. So we'd let it thaw out. And then we just let them play in the snow inside the house. Cause you know, it's like negative 40 outside. You can't yeah. really let them play out <laughs> yeah. um, and doing things like, you know, we would even put food coloring in the snow and play with colors and stuff. So that's stuff that I feel like is, is still age appropriate, but it was geared more towards like, how do we help you catch up and do things that you probably should have been doing like a year. ago
2: no absolutely and I think that's that is really important um, that you're hitting on that because it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the child when you're doing those things that may be for a younger kid I I like what you said helping them catch up because that doesn't mean that they'll be stuck there forever then and so I definitely obviously you didn't do anything wrong in doing things for maybe a younger age bracket I do and I think you know that um, and so I definitely do think that that that's absolutely you did it right. And those are those are spot on for helping the kid continue to grow and do those things. And so I want to make sure that the listeners know that just because we may be saying these age groups for these kids, it doesn't mean. That other kids or other age groups may not enjoy it. So, like for instance, you know, some other things for this age may be a scented, like soft, um, like soft blanket or something. I personally enjoy a scented blanket at times, um, and I'm not zero to two. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm stuck in that that age group <laughs> or anything, but um. And so, making sure that we are aware and that it can be fluid at times as well. So, I really appreciate you sharing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. I think you and Courtney both make some really good points because, again, it comes down to when we're talking about the brain, especially at this age, pruning is all about use it or lose it, right? It follows that principle. And so when we have students or children who've been through trauma um, or who have other cognitive things going on, influencing development, using any of these types of activities helps build those pathways back up. Because the other thing we have learned in researching the human brain is that it's very elastic and it can bounce back to some extent, even after physical trauma, like a TBI. And so doing these activities that engage the brain in all these different sensory ways helps significantly, again, regardless of age. And this layout, again, with Piaget, it's really important to understand when we're talking about Piaget's Stages of development chronologically, it's consistent. So, like in order of like A, B, C, and D, right? But like the timeline in which this is hitting may vary from culture to culture. So, it may not be zero to two exactly in another um, culture, or it might not be exactly two to seven for the next stage and different areas of development, such as spatial thinking, are going to hit at different ages. For example, for herding communities where there is very much an agricultural aspect in child rearing, they're going to have a greater concept of spatial thinking than those of us growing up in non-agricultural regions. So yeah, no, you guys are bringing up some really good points and I really appreciate both of you kind of redirecting and pointing that out. Because again, with neurodivergence, It's not going to necessarily follow this exactly.
0: And I want to put this out here too. Um, I, when I talk about people that are neurodivergent, I am in that club. I have a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder myself. So just a heads up that like, when I'm talking about these things, it's never from a place of judgment and it's from a place of, I am in that uh, under that umbrella as well. So Yeah. Thanks.
1: So one of the things we also wanted to include in this episode was not only talking about things that the children should be doing or um, things that you can do with kiddos as far as their crafting, but crafts that you as the adult in their life can do to help with this developmental piece. So one of the things is crocheted or knitted baby rattles. Things I've been making for my friends lately who've been having babies is baby bat rattles because I love bats. But that shaking and that sound really engages that piece of the brain and then the motor skills of actually shaking the rattle help a lot with the hand-eye coordination piece. I also wrote softy hiding toys and I don't know what that actually means.
0: I love when I write something down and I just don't remember what it actually means.
1: The only thing I can think of is those softies that like fold in on themselves. I was just thinking the same then thing. And pop back out, which you can absolutely do. That would um, make sense with object permanency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was like, oh, yeah, that would make sense. See, past Heather knew what she was doing. <laughs> Cousin Heather, not so much. Um, but tactile blankets with ribbons and various blankets so or various fabrics. My friend Angelica... Um, and Courtney, you know Angelica. Um, Courtney, yeah. Hey, Angelica, we love you. But she actually, when I was pregnant with Luca, made a tactile blanket for him and a matching bib, and we still have it and use it with cast. And it was—it's one of Luca's favorite things to just like mindlessly play with when he's like watching TV or when it's like nighttime and I'm reading his book. Um, that texture piece, and he's four, so like. Again, beyond this developmental stage and still reaping benefit from this. Yeah. And then Courtney, you mentioned softed toys or softed blankets, softed, scented, scented. I can language today. Scented.
2: No, you're, you're the scented softies, um, squeaky toys or soft books. Those are all good things to have texture wise. They've got some of those ribbed books like Don't Touch a Dinosaur or something, Don't Pet One or something. I really like reading those. Never Feed a Monster. I also oh,
0: yeah. want to throw in, Um, this is obviously okay for other stages too, but bath toys and doing oh. that. I did that. I mean, from the time that I had little itty bitty babies, I would put something in with them to try to create that. Like, especially cause like when kids would come to us, you know, and again, speaking through the lens of trauma, cause that's the lens I know children who hated baths and needing yep. to like, you know, uh, make bath fun. Like I had one teenager for instance, and I bought her all kinds of bath stuff because she just did not want to shower. And that was the thing that sold it for her was just being like, here's some things you can put in the shower to make it smell nice. And I'll put up Christmas lights and we'll make it a a spa experience in their bathroom.
1: Oh, that's cute. Um,
0: yeah. Cause we went, we went like the first two weeks without her showering. And I was like, we have, you have to get clean or I'm like, like I understand and I'm okay with you not doing it for a little bit, but I'm going to start getting in trouble if you don't take a shower. So let's figure this out. But with the littles, I would start them off with, I mean, we had more bath toys than we had actual toys, I think, because we had just a a bin of them and we would switch them out to keep it interesting. And even like our babies would just have uh, things they could play with to feel what things felt like in water and to like, just have that positive association with water.
1: I I love that you bring up bath time because associating it with crafts. I think one of the things we deal with with adults with crafting is that fear of mess and Courtney you might be able to speak a little bit more about some of your experiences with adults and like their fear of messiness and control but finding I find that having them do crafts in the bathtub is a lot less stressful so like those bath paints those water toys shaving cream paint food coloring its so much nicer in the tub
2: I'm just thinking about when Heather and I were working together and one of the crafts that she had done and got it got paint on the carpet and granted we can very easily (laughs) it's waterproof paint or it's it's paint that can come up with water but like how much everybody was like (gasps) oh my gosh
1: Um, but I was the supervisor so they couldn't tell me shit
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) but they were so mad it was, it was bad, but like, yeah, we just, we do have that instinctive, oh my gosh, we can't do that. No, <gasps> <sighs> you know, and that's where we, we do get those trauma responses from a kid then when they spill a cup. And so, you know, it's just a cup of water and things. And so if you're going to be doing those crafts, making sure that you have an area and being okay with mess because we can clean those things up. But if, if you are worried about those messes, doing it in the bathtub doing it outside making sure obviously it's not going to be toxic to the environment um, because we don't want to kill the environment and animals and everything but you know looking at those sort of crafts that are easily cleaned up and aren't going to be as stressful for you as a parent yeah no that that's a
1: really good point because like also just going off of the carpet I intentionally only have secondhand furniture in my apartment because I have littles and I don't want to have that frustration and anger of, I worked hard for this money that I used to buy this thing for us to have a nice home. I very much have furniture that I'm like, this is going to get paint on. This is going to get pee on it. This is going to get all sorts of gross body things on it. It's fine.
0: You can have nice things or you can have children and pets. Like that's, those are your options. You can't, you really can't have both. <laughs> if you want both, it's just, it's not going to work. You're going to be very stressed and you're going to have children that are upset all the time because you're not letting them play on the furniture and you're not letting them make messes. Um, there's a lady on TikTok actually who has a neurodivergent child And there is crayon all over. She has a one room that's designated that her child is allowed to color on the walls. And people lose their minds. Like people have some opinions about coloring on the walls. And I'm just like, I see her perspective in that like, it's a wall. You can paint it. Like, like, it's okay. And it's a designated area for it. And like, I've seen other families where they just, they don't care. And they just, they're like, well, when they grow out of the stage, we'll just paint. Mm -hmm. And I personally- I think I came from a place where my mother had a show home. Like she vacuumed the house multiple times a day and things. So we weren't allowed to have that space. And so this is like the other extreme of it. And honestly, I don't really think it's necessarily wrong. I think people get really heated about it. And I I do, I worry about their reactions on the internet because I'm wondering if they're also being judgmental of their own children for, just doing things that are coming naturally to children I understand like that's an extreme not everyone is going to let their children color on the walls sure but it is a different idea and I think our generation is doing a little bit more of that sort of free form let children kind of do things sort of parenting and in certain contexts I think it can be healthy and freeing and give a little bit more space for play.
1: Well, I I think it it makes me think of, you know, all of us have spent some time in Utqiagvik. And I think from my experience working with families and going into homes, one of the things I, I noticed, especially in the villages, was just colors and stickers and markings all over the walls. And a lot of times the akas and Appas or the grandparents who owned the home most often, their perception of it was these are memories. Like, why would I paint over this? Why would I wash this off? And I think that's a very beautiful way of honoring children and their creativity so
0: yeah I think it was one of those things too growing up like again we were not we just had things we weren't allowed to do and it's one of the reasons why when I see very well behaved children and families that have very clean homes it's a red flag for me personally I'm not saying it's always a bad thing but for me just the level of abuse it took to get us to that level of compliance to not interact with our environment at all yeah yeah I find it concerning. And I had friends who like, they had stickers because they were like allowed to put a sticker on the back window of the car, or maybe they would just do it and not ask for permission. And their parent would be upset, but it happened. We didn't even get to the point of getting yelled at for anything because it had been pushed out of us so hard. So I think accepting messes is super, super healthy. And there's probably a middle point, but just to give a perspective from someone who wasn't allowed to do those things. yeah, um, it can be It can be really healthy to just give children the space to explore and to see like what happens when we put a sticker on something and why it's like why we maybe don't want to put it on the window, but like actually physically letting them experience that. Cause you can take a sticker off. It's not going to be fun, but you can do it.
1: Yeah. Well, and like one of the things we've done with Luca. So for those of you who know me personally, my four-year-old um, is we actually have a blanket designated for anytime we do messy craft time where it's like, that's what covers the floor it has stains. I have never washed it. It's probably the grodiest, nastiest thing, but it saves my carpet and he knows, keep it on the, keep it on the blanket and you can do whatever you want and it saves so much stress. So, and I still manage to keep a fairly safe, clean home, um, but it's definitely not a show home by <laughs> any measure. And that's more because of my own craft mess.
2: <laughs> I think I've painted on that blanket.
1: Yes, you have. Yes. <laughs> it has followed me to Anchorage. <laughs> so next, so we've we've talked about the sensory motor state, sensory motor stage, uh, which is birth to two years. So next, after that, from Piaget's standpoint, is the preoperational stage, and this is for ages two to seven. And so. The big things to know about this stage uh, is when thinking at a symbolic level happens, but they're not yet using cognitive operations. So that prefrontal cortex, that executive decision-making impulse control is not necessarily happening. So when we say symbolic thinking, this is when it's like, oh, my four-year-old is saying, oh, green means zombie and purple means fairies. My mom, (laughs) who's the green gorgon, is a zombie. They're representing
2: the, things with words and images.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then lacking that, you know, cognitive piece where it's that prefrontal cortex impulse control leads to oh, zombie bad. I'm gonna shoot my mom. So yeah, fun time. The child's thinking during this stage is pre or before operations. This means that the child cannot use logic or transform, combine, or separate ideas. But Courtney, are you able to talk a little bit more about what that means?
2: Yeah. So we're using a lot of the, they're, they're doing more of the intuition. They're not able to use that logic at all. And so where we were talking about just a second ago, they're using words um, and images. They're doing a lot of pretend play. And we're talking a little bit about kind of the, the ego here. Um, oh, we're not yeah. talking and saying that. <laughs> we're talking, <laughs> refer, and we're referring to, it's not necessarily that they're being selfish. So when I say ego or egocentrism, it's not necessarily that they're being selfish Yes, we're talking about the belief that, you know, they're the center of the universe, kind of, and everything revolves around you, but it's not that. It's not memorable. malicious. Yeah, it's not that moral selfishness that somebody else may have. They're, they're not able to develop it. It's just the inability to even see or understand it from another person's point of view yet. And so that's where that's kind of at right now. And so in terms of sharing, in terms of, you know, those sort of things, that's, they have that difficulty taking the viewpoint of others. And also kind of in this, they're learning to start classifying objects by single features. And so we're grouping together all the red blocks, regardless of shape, or all, you know, all, what is it, all square blocks are all the same, regardless of the color. So that's kind of where kids are at with this. Yeah.
1: And we also have a lot of that parallel play happening at this stage. And so I know one of the things that I've been dealing with when I take Luca to the playground is everybody will say, okay, we're going to play lava sharks or we're going to play pirates and everybody's playing it, but they're not really playing it together with each other, interacting of like, all right, I'm the captain and you're the first mate. It's we're all going to run around and scream that we're lava sharks, but there's not really direct interaction it's like I'm going to be a lava shark here you're going to be a lava shark there and it's going to be fine but yeah so like you said pretend play is increasing so Jesse you have anything you want to say
0: on crafts with kids at this stage so we did a lot of painting I mean, a lot of painting, so much painting that I was sick of cleaning up painting, (laughs) like because it was a daily occurrence. But we tried to like do other ways of doing like not just paint and paper, but grabbing different tools and seeing how they interacted with the paint, trying different textures. So like what happens if we dip a rock in paint and then put the rock on the paper? What happens if we cut a potato and put the potato on the paint? What happens if we use sticks from outside or plants? Um, Just giving a variety of like, even like some toys, dipping the toy in paint, Uh, different types of brushes, big brushes, like brushes we would use to paint a wall and just seeing like, you know, letting them feel the weight of something that's a really big brush in their hand.
1: I love that. I've never actually thought about doing that, but that's really fun. Cool. Cool.
0: Yeah, it's, it's something I was actually, I was reminded by, again, by a TikTok because apparently I'm addicted to TikTok, but there was a parent who was talking about how like, she had these like cookie cutters and she was using cookie cutters. And I was like, man, I wish I'd thought of using cookie cutters. So we did a lot of that. We also did, uh, tempera paints and we started it because we were doing the windows for Christmas. So we did Christmas designs on the windows and then we took those down and it's really, it comes off with water. It's like super nice. And then we just started doing like every month, just changing what we put on the windows and occasionally just painting different things on our windows with the kids, trying to make it clear that we only paint on the windows because we were renting, but honestly tempera paint comes off of everything super easy and so that was really really fun and it was a different way of experiencing something that we were already doing every day so that's like a lot of what we did my sister-in-law made us costumes for the kids and so we did have some like really cute costumes and my uh parents had mailed us some stuff so changing outfits 50 times a day I feel like was its own sort of a craft I didn't really get into making any myself weirdly enough I did other things for the kids, like making parkas and stuff, but uh, they did have a lot of costumes. So I really liked that you included like costumes and stuff for doing, you know, dress up and pretend play. Cause that was very, very big. And it was again, that parallel play where like, if I had another kid over, they'd just be like randomly pick here, you wear the yellow one, I'll wear the blue one. And then they just run around and scream while wearing princess costumes or whatever they had. <laughs> just run around and scream, you know? Yeah. That was 90% of it.
1: Just run around and scream. Yeah. Miss Courtney, do you have any suggestions for crafts that we can do with kids at
2: this stage? You know, I think we've hit on a lot of them. I think doing soccer finger puppets, um, making noisemakers. Granted half the time I want to check those out the window, but um, you know, still continuing to build on those ones that we've done previously in terms of this, the senses, bringing those in as well but these are really good times this age group is is a really important time to continue to build and to do that craft time to do that bonding with the child and you know because we're learning they're they're learning to problem solve they're learning to develop um, their brains and things but also just to create and craft and so you know they're learning about symbolism you know one object is being used to represent another and so it's a really important time to do art and crafts with kids at this age.
1: Yeah and one of the things that when I was doing the research for this episode that some other people and there there will be cites, citations and resources in the show notes but um the emphasis on this is the time that kids are really starting to learn boundaries and rules and social norms and testing those. And so part of the importance of crafting is a safe space to test those rules and boundaries. Like what happens when I mix things, what happens just like Jesse, you were talking about with the different types of things to paint with Um, the whole purpose of crafting at this time is really to give them a way to learn how to interact with their environment and with their peers. So, and what those rules are and how can you break those rules? So we do have some suggestions of ways that you as an adult can help support the developmental growth that's happening in this stage. And Jesse, you talked about the costumes. I think costumes hit on so many different aspects of development. Courtney, I know you had like a thing of costumes and stuff.
2: Yeah. And through play, kids are interacting and and showing and seeing, they're playing what they see in the real world. And so they may have seen mom or dad cook. And so they're going to play out them cooking. Um, they're learning how to do some of those actions and preparing to be an adult. And so I'm going to play pretend to be a firefighter because that may have been my hero. And I want to be that when I grow up. And so having those options to explore try those roles on in a safe place where they're not feeling judged and, you know, they're not getting shot down. is really important. Um,
1: another fun thing is soft character sets or amigurumi um, to help with pretend play so they can use these creatures, characters, whatever, to act out different scenarios, kind of like you were talking about, Courtney. Rainbow spaghetti is a really big one. And the reason why I focused on this one, I know that's like kind of a random thing, Uh, but again, it challenges their concept of rules, right? So if they go into the world thinking, oh, all spaghetti is this boring white color and this one texture, and then you do rainbow spaghetti, it shows them that just because something is the norm doesn't mean it's the only. Um, So I really like things like these unexpected rainbow uses any other suggestions of crafts that adults can do with kiddos during this stage
0: I really like that I just wanted to comment that I really like that because I think that you know in a society where people are raised to be worker bees uh it's really important to foster critical thinking and starting that from a young age where you are like well what about the other options though so I really I thank you for sharing that
1: yeah yeah. I like, I like their wrenches and things for those of you who haven't met me yet. <laughs> yeah. So next we have the concrete operational stage and this is ages seven to 11. Um, typically. So again, this is the organized and rational thinking. And in my notes, I did write
2: <laughs>
1: uh, because the definition of rational is very specific. So when we say rational, we don't mean adult version of rational where it's like, oh, if you do this, it's going to hurt so-and-so's feelings. We mean that very black and white rational thinking. And Courtney, can you talk a little bit about like an example of what that black and white rational thinking might look like?
2: They may have like adult like logic, but it's very limited to concrete real real life situations. So Oh, the
1: kid with Mars and ice and water. Do you feel like that would fall into the.
2: Oh, potentially share it right. and we'll see. So, like,
1: we had a kiddo that we worked with who he was reading this book about space and was really like fixated on this time on Mars. And he was like, Did you know that Mars is only dust and dirt and doesn't have any water? And I was like, actually, they recently discovered water on Mars and ice. And he's like, no, it's space. There's nothing in space, not even ice. And so he was kind of fixated on that concrete concept of space is a vacuum. There's nothing in space, but also excluding, but then Mars exists. So if Mars is Mars, nothing, you know, and so really struggling with that, connecting the dots there and how these two separate ideas
2: actually fit into each other. We're not ready for those abstract ideas um, and connecting them. We're not ready for that advanced reasoning yet.
1: Yeah. And if you think of any other examples for either of you, definitely pop up because I think that conversations about children's rationality is amazing. So next children gain the abilities of conservation in the context of number area volume orientation. So an example of this is a fluid being poured from one size of a beaker to another, but still maintaining volume. So you can pour like that example with like the short wide beaker into the tall thin beaker, Um, same volume. The, The liquid doesn't just disappear or whatever. Um, reversibility. So understanding that, you know, you can chop all these vegetables up and put them in a salad and you can take them back apart, but you can't put them back together. And so understanding where does that stop? Seriation or the organizing things in a logical order, such as tallest to shortest or thinnest to thickest. One of my mom's favorite stories is to tell everybody that I was an inventoryist. I never played. I actually organized things. And so all of my toys, it was everything's organized by color or everything's organized by shape or by type or by size there was never this interactive play with my toys transitivity understanding how objects relate to one another as in a cone is made to hold a scoop of ice cream and together they are meant to be eaten and this is where i guess that kiddo got stuck was that transitivity between mars and space class inclusion so furry things with tails and four legs are cats but we know that's not always true although it should be. So it should be noted that while children can solve problems in a logical fashion, they are typically not able to think abstractly or hypothetically like Courtney was saying. And so when we have worked with kiddos and trying to get them to understand like the feelings of other people um, and understanding like, oh, if you were to do this, how would it make you feel? That didn't happen to me. It happened to them. What are you talking about? And they get kind of fixated on the but that's not what actually happened. And Courtney, I don't know if you want to speak any more on that. No, you hit it right on the nail. So, uh, I know,
2: hair flip. So
1: Courtney and Jesse, do you guys have any suggestions on crafts to do with kids in this stage?
2: Since we're starting to develop and learn more about numbers and being able to do that mass kind of in volume and stuff, baking is a really good one in this stage. So that kids can really start to work on those things, understanding about different measurements. That would be a really good one. baking does count as a craft
1: oh that's a really good example thanks I try
0: (laughs) so I know I worked in um I was I was with Girl Scouts for a really long time and I was a CIT and and before I was a CIT I was in kind of like a you know a leadership position over other girls because it's kind of how it's it's oriented at day camp and and overnight camp and this it feels like at this age you can do things that have an outcome and Mm -hmm. have that be the goal so like we are going to make friendship bracelets so we can share those with our friends. We are going to make things to bring home to our parents and like have like a person in mind. And usually even like, if you don't say, hey, we're making it for someone at this age, I noticed a lot of kids would start to have that thought of, I am making this for my mom. I am going to bring this home to my dad. And then they would tell you all about their parent figure, or they would tell you about their special person. Uh, And I, I think that that was a, something I just specifically noticed about this age range the teenagers don't necessarily do this so much from what I noticed but the the kids that are like seven to eleven will tend to just like have a reason why they're making their thing or even a backstory like if we're doing we would do like things that would involve making a creature and they would make a whole story that would go along with the object
2: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that's an awesome example I really,
0: so this is a really fun age
1: group to do sorting craft supply activities. It's interesting because at this age, they really are excited about those categories, right? Like being able to like sort things into categories is fun, spoken by a true inventory expert. (laughs) Um, And like one of the things I'm looking forward to most is when Luca finally reaches that age where he is like all about the categories because I have this huge button mural I want to do but I need to organize my buttons by color first and like while he can do some of that now he's not motivated you know he's very much and he's still at that stage where it's like pink and red are kind of the same blue and purple are kind of the same and so some of those like color deviations are kind of weird for him Um, but this is a really good activity to bond with your children over crafts do some like little side talking about crafts and how those craft supplies are used while also
2: exploiting child labor laws with them (laughs) thinking about i bought um off of ebay i had bought like a hundred different types or different colors of embroidery thread and i had one of the kids sort them because they were so excited like can i sort these for you oh yeah Yeah, you can sort them and like had the best afternoon ever. Like the kid had so much fun and I got to inventory my threads. So
0: (laughs) it worked.
1: Yeah. Another really good craft to do with kids at this stage is tie dye. They do have a little bit more motor control, but this is also really engaging some of that like conservation of fluid and like volume, all that fun stuff but then also understanding how when you have water in a t-shirt and then you pour the dye on, how it saturates the rest of the shirt
2: um, and kind of like how the folds and stuff limit that. So, And you can start talking about how colors mix too, how A plus B will equal C because yeah. we, we're, we're starting to develop that in this age group.
0: Yeah. And I think from my perspective too is like when, Talk about like camp crafts, like we would have discussions about like, okay, like before you start your project, like, obviously, like younger ages, we didn't do this, but older ages, we'd be like, okay, let's take a second to plan what we're going to do, pick your colors, we have to make sure we're sharing with other people because we only have so many supplies so we can't have everyone can't use yellow because we only have so many. So if you can like work together and figure out what colors you want to use together and think about what colors would look good together. And I've noticed that the older they got, some children would even just initiate that or they would see that problem on the table and be like, hmm, there's only like three yellows, but there's seven of us. Nice. So who wants to use these? And it was, it was interesting to see the difference between like a seven and an 11 year old in terms of like being able to look at what was on the table and space those out between people. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So next we wanted to talk
1: a little bit about crafts that the adults in these children's lives can do to help promote some of that developmental stuff. And so we have sorting cups and sorting containers. You can make these as cute as you want. So I really adore the little yip yip hanger things that are different colors, um, like the yip yips from Sesame Street. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So people crochet these and their mouths are open and you can put stuff into them. And so I know a teacher down in the lower 48 who she's a like, second grade teacher but she has the yip yips where it's like okay you get your prize out of this yip yip or out of this color yip yip another activity is sight word splat where you like you know this is for all you cricket users or whatever but you can do the sight words all pretty or whatever or like with bugs and then give the kid a fly swatter and have them slap the sight word that corresponds with whatever words you're saying so yeah you guys got any suggestions what about a weighted blanket?
0: I need a weighted blanket. Make me. I love my weighted blanket. blanket. They're yeah. my
2: favorite. Yeah, you could easily make one of those with rice, with some other different things too. Obviously, you don't ever want the child to feel like they can't move, and so making sure that it is weight appropriate. Wait, Wait. what? <laughs> we don't want to <laughs> confine children. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> So making sure it is weight appropriate for the child and that they feel comfortable in it. You could probably also add some scent in with it as well so that we're continuing to hit on some of those other scents. Um, And if you don't want to go massive and do, you could always do just a lap. You could do a little lap band or something like that, weighted lap pillow or something.
0: So I have a, a rice bag that I use is it's my, it's my object. It's like my comfort object. I don't even have to heat it up and I keep it in bed with me and it follows me around the house. Cause you know, neurodivergent crew, what's up. Uh, but I think I was around seven when I got my first one from an adult and we made it together. Like I couldn't do the sewing part, but I could help stuff it. And I put the lavender in it and we, we picked our, um, I think you can put like other things in there too. I think my first Mm -hmm. one had some rosemary in it. Oh, nice. So, uh, but I got to participate in it and then I got to keep the end product. So I think that's another one is doing sewing projects that haven't something that the the child can keep is a really good idea at that age
2: too. I have yeah, I, one that has cherry pits in it and it, you, oh. when you heat it up, it smells like cherries and it's amazing. That's oh. interesting. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I recently got a sewing book for making like fiddle muffs where it's like the little like busy stuff, like the tags and the buttons and the zippers and stuff for children and adults. And like one of the things it's recommended for is actually people with Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited to start working on making those. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so next we have the formal operational stages, and this is pretty much <laughs> for ages 12 and up. The biggest thing about this developmental stage is they're gaining the ability to think in an abstract manner by manipulating ideas in their heads. And we don't mean like malicious manipulating. We'll have a whole conversation about manipulating later without any dependence on concrete manipulation. And then the other aspect is they can do mathematical calculations, think creatively, use abstract reasoning, and imagine the outcome of particular actions. So Ms. Courtney, do you wanna say anything on those or expand on these?
2: Yeah. And so this is where kids are able to start thinking about things like ethics. They're able to start looking at some of those social and moral issues a little bit more. And so those things that we as adults know are more abstract, are more hypothetical ideas, things that you can't necessarily put into black and white concrete thinking all the time. Um, So politics. So So do it. Fairness, that's a huge fairness. Yes. Yeah, that's a
1: huge piece with these kiddos at this stage.
2: Yeah. And so they're exploring those things and they're gonna like waffle back and forth and not fully understand it yet. And granted, I'm still learning <laughs> some of these things. And so they're still exploring those, you know, and they their their ability to draw conclusions based on hypothesis rather than just objects, you know, that's where they're starting to go. And so they're having a lot more logical thinking it doesn't mean that they're super advanced in it but they are having a more advanced reasoning especially with you know math and science and things like that and that can come out in their crafting as well
1: all right so do we want to talk a little bit about crafts to do with these kiddos at this
0: stage
1: that was them. the
0: age I started sewing okay so I got my first sewing machine when I was 12 it I wasn't making anything earth shattering, but the other thing that I got really into doing was hand sewing cathedral windows. Ooh, and that was the, the age wow. which I started to be able to do multi-step processes, I think. Wow. So I don't know if that's typical, but it's cathedral windows. If you break it down into steps, they're actually not that hard. And if you're hand sewing them, they're a lot easier than doing on a machine. And I would just kind of do those and have them set off to the side. I never made anything with them, but just the process of like putting pieces together and matching colors was really soothing for me.
2: Hmm. That's awesome. That's amazing. I'm thinking cross stitching. Um, This is the age that we started teaching some of the kids we worked with and it worked out really well. I actually hung out with that kiddo the other day and cross stitched with them. Oh, Um, awesome. Yeah, super fun. But yeah, this is especially because they have some math in that and everything. Yeah, this is also I really
1: like uh, the idea of doing junk journaling with kids at this age because of that like verbal emotional expression within writing. But also just like decorating it the way they want to be also an external expression because you can see the outside of the journal I actually got started on this uh, concept of junk journaling in seventh grade. Uh, Mrs. Sales, my English teacher, she basically brought a bunch of random shit, shit, really, like it was just junk, literal junk to her classroom and gave us all composition notebooks. And we spent like two periods working on our own junk journals. And that was probably one of the most like formative core memories of middle school for me. Mm. So
2: that's
1: awesome, yeah, but really, like the thing with this age is pretty much any craft is on the table with the right supervision, so like you could do some of the more dangerous stuff like glass blowing and like burning wood and welding but it you really have to be involved as an adult this isn't something that you hand them the tools and walk away with because again that prefrontal cortex that impulse control piece is not fully developed till you're 25 and so this is really not the time to be like oh they're so brilliant and creative and i just love to see where they go with this don't walk away cuz kids will do dumb shit I was a dumb teen and I did dumb shit. <laughs> don't ask. But it, it really is one of those things where it's like, we want to support creativity. We don't want to micromanage, but we also don't want to set them up for chopping off a finger. Or setting the house on fire.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have my my wire classes. The youngest I allow is 13 and they have to have a parent with them. One of the questions that I actually kind of want to posit to you and excuse me if I'm not wording it correctly. I'm hoping that you, I think you'll be able to infer my meaning. I get kids in class and they are very hard on themselves at that age. I mean, they will look around at what the adults are doing and they will be like, this sucks. This is the worst thing. And I'm looking at them I'm like, man, for being freaking like 13, 14 years old, like you are killing it. But like, I can't really say that. I can't be like, well, for your age, you're doing great. You know what I mean? How would you address that? Or what what is happening there developmentally, I guess?
2: Can I ask why you can't
0: say that for their age? I I'm concerned about, I know if it were me and I was 14. It almost sounds like backhand. Yeah. School. I don't, okay. I don't want to like backhand them, especially in a room full of adults. I'm very makes careful sense. to just give them the same compliments I'm giving all of the other students. And almost just like say, okay. condescending of like, oh, well, for your
1: age, you just, just okay. a good job. I mean, yeah, no, I get that. That
2: makes sense. Sorry. I just wanted to make sure I was on the same page thinking. Absolutely. Is this the first time they've come to some of these classes? Yeah, usually, usually
0: it's like the first time they've ever come to a class. I, I haven't had any children return because they have to, you know, their parents have to buy a ticket and they have to buy a ticket. So it can be a, it can be an endeavor for them.
2: Yeah, that can be a really hard one because a lot of times you're dealing with a lot more than just that first time. You're dealing with a lot more internal things because they already probably don't believe that they can do it. Yeah, because. Go, go for it. I was, I was just going to say, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about setting
1: that stage of like, if you start putting too many restrictions and too much control of like, you're not supposed to do it that way. That's not how you do it. That's the messaging that kids carry forward and that's, like, the voice they hear when they're
2: in these new situations of, like, and
1: And so they
2: they may be hearing that from another art teacher, and it's not even something, you know, we've done wrong in our setting, or that their parent has necessarily done wrong, you know, and so I think creating that, that initial thing from the get-go of, Hey this is a new skill. I'm going to have yeah, I'm going to need you all to be patient with yourselves and kind and gentle. I know something that Heather and I always <laughs> made the staff do and the kids do is if they say anything negative they have to say three things positive because we were working on rewiring the brain and it takes that and it, actually the science may be different now it may actually be five things but at one point, the science was for every one negative, you need three positive things to combat that. And so I don't know if that's something that could be useful, but, you know, having that expectation up front of we're going to put our negativity and leave it outside the door. This is a new task. This is a new thing. And and granted, it's not going to work. Let's, let's be real. Like, you know, we can say those things when we come in, but a lot of them are still going to come in with it. And so having to just coach them through that and just be like, you know, you have done an amazing job. This is our first time doing it. And it's okay for us to make mistakes. You know, I mean, I, I know we hear teachers say, oh, well, Edison found a hundred ways to do it. And it's, you've got all these cliches and I know we hear it, but until you're actually at the point of being able to accept it for ourselves, sometimes it's just, I don't know if I have a good answer for you.
0: No, that's actually really helpful because I do in my bio for when I teach classes, it does say like, hey, I run my classes like to try to accommodate all different learners and I am trauma-informed and I work from a place of being trauma-informed. And one of the things that I have noticed in classes is not just, I mean, it's especially noticeable in children, I think. I think that they verbalize their feelings of inadequacy a lot more than the adults do, but I can see it in the adults, if that makes sense. And so I do look at it from like, I've started my class with that. So thank you for validating that I've said that um, and validating the way that I run my class because that's absolutely how I do things. And I come from a place of neurodivergency and learning disorders. I run my classes if everyone in it is neurodivergent and has a learning disorder.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I could
1: confirm yeah. that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. And that was, that was a great question. Like, and I, and I think about it. So I, I pour paint and I mess up. And I turn out so many ones that I absolutely hate. And, you know, I, I feed into the social media thing of I only take pictures of the ones that I'm like, oh yes, and I'm feeding into it. I know it, you know, and for every one that I have, um, and there's, you know, 10, 15 that I'm like, these are, these are terrible. And I was really hard on myself when I had all of these 10 to 15 that were awful. And my husband was like, we can just buy more or you can just paint over it. And so that's been really, release or a, a relief for me the fact no oh, I can mess up it's okay if I mess up and now granted there's other art supplies that are more expensive and you can't necessarily always mess up all the time but having that freedom to mess up and so encouraging people to find at least one of their art forms that they can just have that ability to mess up in you know, and finding that kind of release and that freedom of being able to do whatever the the hell they need to with it.
1: Yeah, one of the things that has really stuck with me for like making those mistakes is remembering that 10,000 hour rule. Like it takes 10,000 hours to become a master. And so I just chalk it up to like, well, that's one more hour towards the 10,000. It was a hour that like, I didn't get anything productive out of it. Like nothing pretty came from it, but man, I learned not to do it this way anymore, you know? because I can't tell you how many crochet blankets or scarves or wonky other things I've made where it's like, Ooh, I thought this was what this pattern meant, but that's not what it meant to do at all.
2: So I've seen yeah. you unravel them and like frustration. I'm like, what are you doing? And you're like, it's fine. It's fine. And I'm like, ah, another hour, just one more hour. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, and I, I like to present that idea with kids. Cause it's just like, Nobody is an overnight master. It's thousands and thousands of hours to get to that level. And it doesn't mean that you're any more deficient just because you've only got eight hours and you're doing that, you know? Right. But the other thing I like to do, because you and I talked about this in our last, our first episode recording, I think, or maybe it was our second recording, but about like we have kids or students who come to the classes and they get discouraged seeing the good work that we have as examples. And one of the things I've been wondering since we've had that conversation is, is it worth it to start
0: bringing our mistakes to show? I and say like, that every class. I say that, I'm like, I wish I'd kept my first wirework pieces because when I started, they didn't have teachers. I was doing this on my own. What I was coming out with was horrific. And so seeing students be hard on themselves when they have guidance. And I'm like, y'all don't understand. You are <laughs> 10 steps ahead of me. I was two years in when I made something that looks like what you're making today. And I feel like that point doesn't get driven home without having the example. And I'm so mad at myself for throwing those pieces out or dismantling them or whatever I did with them. It is, it is upsetting because uh, mm-hmm. I want people, I just, so I just, I'm gonna actually tell a story if that's okay. Go for it. There was a guy, some friends brought him over to the apartment and he was a wire wrapper and they thought we'd really get along because we both wrapped wire. And he was more of a beginner and he saw my pieces and was like wrecked. He was absolutely devastated. And like my stuff at that point wasn't like earth shattering. It was just wire work. Like I do better work now. And But he saw what I was doing and it was years ahead of what he was doing. And he saw that and he was just like Heartbroken. It was visible and he shut down, didn't want to talk about it, said that he was shit, said he didn't want to do it anymore. And I don't think he's actually made stuff since then. And it still fucking bothers me to this day. Like the last thing that I want anyone to do is look at what I'm doing today and see it as an excuse to stop what they're doing. Like what they're not seeing are those 10,000 hours of making mistakes of almost poking myself in the eye with the wire of like, making things that looked like garbage of days and weeks of not selling anything because no one wanted what I had because it wasn't that good yet. And all the missteps I made with photography and all the missteps I made with learning the search engine optimization. It takes so much time to learn these things. And when you see someone who has a level of proficiency or success, as we call it success, you're not seeing all the work that went into it. And the last thing I want someone to do is see this thing that I'm really passionate about and I want people to learn it and to be involved in. It just breaks my heart that anyone would compare themselves. Like you've been doing it for 10 minutes. I have been doing this for 11 years. There's gonna be a discrepancy there. Yeah. I
1: did wanna talk a little bit about maintaining your sanity and your relationship with children while crafting. And we have hit on a lot of these already. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was knowing your triggers around crafting. Um, What do you tend to get into power struggles with over crafting in your kid and how can you mitigate this? So some of the things that like Jesse, you've brought up is the messes. And then Courtney, I don't know if you have any anecdotes you want to
2: share about things you've seen with the staff you've worked with. I'm just thinking about the paint on the floor and on the carpet and just the heart attacks that people were having. And you were like, it's fine. We'll clean it. And like, literally it was just easily cleaned up. No issue. Well,
1: and and the thing is, is like, we were using that activity to teach kids about like boundaries and how to get consent, you know? And so it was like this huge, bigger, more important lesson that they were coming away from. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, think about mess and ways you can prepare your space to reduce mess so like I used the blanket that like once we're done I just like ball it up and throw it in a little ottoman and it's out of the way and I don't have to worry about it and it's not a sight sore. Um, I don't know if you two have any ideas on ways that people can mitigate mess when working with kids at different ages.
2: Depends on what the craft is you know if it can be outside if it can be in the tub like we had talked about earlier um those plastic tablecloths from dollar trees those oh, are yeah. amazing um to be able to lay out and you can you can just throw those away they're a dollar um or if you want to reuse them do that too.
0: yeah I think we did uh especially with painting because there was so much happening in our house we had a big roll of that like paper that they get at schools the like, butcher
1: paper yeah the
0: butcher paper and we would just have it so it could constantly be rolled out and kiddo actually learned how to like rip her painting off and kind of set it off to the side and then we could just start over and if she didn't want to keep her painting she'd fold it up and kind of put it in the trash because I mean we had like 80 paintings or we could not keep them all (laughs) I wanted to but like space was an issue but like having that ability to roll it out I think was really awesome and just that feeling of being able to just keep going yeah and having it be accessible
2: well, and I like what you said about she was, the, the kid was able to fold it up and put it away. And so including them in, in the cleanup process and how to clean it up and how to take care of the craft supplies is important as well.
0: I, I, yeah, definitely. And that's another thing I've weirdly been thinking more about, like, because we did a lot of stuff with our kids where if they showed interest in cleaning, we got them involved in it in an age appropriate way. Like as soon as they're interested in helping. I think that that's where you get, like, that's why people end up with teenagers who don't want to help is because they've, when they showed the interest and they were told, oh, no, 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 you're too young for that. Or no, 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 you, you, you can't do that.
1: Or you're doing it wrong. It's not,
0: you don't put it that way. Exactly. Like if I had to rewash every dish in the sink because kiddo helped me with washing things, then that's what it was. But she wanted, she showed the interest. So we got her involved in that. So she was learning. Yep. Yep. So I never said like, oh, no, 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 you can't rip that. I'd be like, oh, yeah, rip the paper. See if you can do this without getting paint everywhere. Let's just see how this goes.
1: The other thing is using gross language with kiddos. Um, so focusing on, you know, recognizing that they are in a space of learning and developing those skills and not immediate overnight senseis or whatever. Also avoiding value statements of good or bad. With my kiddo, I focus more on, wow, I really like those colors you chose. What made you want to use pink and orange together? Oh, you got brown? That's awesome. You know, really focusing on the process and what they're doing rather than whether or not it's good or bad. Um, Because again, that carries over to that messaging that they have in their brains down the road. And then I, as a parent personally, don't allow glitter in my household, which is the antithesis of who I am as a person. Which is like also the antithesis of who I am as an environmental activist, because glitter is Satan's cubic dandruff. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm a fucking little goblin brain, and I see sparkly, shining. I'm like, oh, I really like. Really. But it's also not a good idea with kids. It's just not a fucking good idea with kids. Um, and it's also everywhere. Behavior. Yeah. So doing your own crafts around kids, it is really important to think about safety. So I try really hard not to leave my needles out. You don't want a kiddo swallowing them. Um, you don't want a kiddo stabbing them with them with them or self-harming with them or poking the cat with them. Don't do sharp things like cutting things or stitching with children in your lap because they like to flail randomly and like headbutt you and like just be little spastic humans. If you are doing crafts with like natural dyes or resin or things like that, you really need to focus on ventilation. It's fine if you want to kill your own brain cells and don't care. But if you have children around, you best be using ventilation.
0: Specifically, I see a lot of people who say that they do resin with their kids Unless your child is literally wearing a hazmat suit, I can't imagine any situation where doing resin crafts with a child is really super appropriate. They are not really great for adults to even be breathing in, never mind someone who's developing. And it's one of those things, like I've done resin crafts. Do not do them in your home. Do not do mm-hmm. them in spaces where your kids and pets are. Uh, they do off-gas. They off-gas for hours after they're cured, for days after they're cured. Honestly, you need to have a separate for- space preferably with a vent hood. I mean, that's how these companies will say that they're not, that they don't give off fumes and things like that. I just want to put that out there because I think that's something people are very undereducated on. Uh, Resin is toxic. Resin is not great when it's not cured. Once it's cured, you're good, but it takes a long time to stop off gassing.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's one of those things where it's like, I see people doing resin crafts that like We'll have a whole, whole episode on resin crafts because I have feelings about resin crafts. But like, again, there, there's nothing worth making that is worth sabotaging your child's physical brain. There's just not.
0: And it's there increasingly more and more people are having sensitivities to resin and things because of exposure. So I can't mm-hmm. even stress this enough. Like the more exposure you have, the more likely you are to end up with other chemical sensitivities and things. Like there's they're having all kinds of problems now. Just don't do resin crafts with your children unless you are really, I mean, I can think of ways with older kids where you could really, like, there are people that do full body hazmat suits and things. Your child should not be doing this without proper personal protective equipment, ventilation, not in your home, not where your pets are, and especially not where babies or toddlers are interacting at any at any point
1: well the other thing too i think about with like adults crafting who have children in the home is i see a lot of stuff on facebook and instagram where people are like uh my toddler my child got ketchup on this or permanent marker man and they're like pissed at the kid and i'm like you're the adult with the prefrontal cortex fully fucking developed you chose to leave that project in a place where your child could get it you're the asset here not the two-year-old yep and it, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, I do recognize like you worked hard on it and you really cared about it. And sometimes like you, you just like set it down without thinking, but like if kiddo gets a hold of
0: it, that's on you, dude, that is not on the kiddo. That is your poor choices. And this may be me being a foster parent, but I had to be like beyond reproach. I mean, really like in a way that bio parents just aren't expected to be. So like if my children got hurt, like friends whose kids would like do things like cut their hair with scissors and stuff that literally could not happen in my home. Yeah. So the idea of like leaving something out by accident, I'm not, I was never allowed to have an accident like that. So I I get exactly what you're saying. Like that would be on me as the adult, if they got into something, like I had bead cases gotten into and stuff. And that was absolutely on me for my beads ending up all over the floor because, you know, kiddo was used to sitting on my lap and playing with my beads and she, I wasn't I was like in the room, but she got to it before I could stop her. And again, that's on you. You're the grown up. Like you have to Mm -hmm. be on top of those things.
1: Sorry. I obviously have a lot of strong feelings about people blaming children.
0: (laughs) No, I've, I've seen that too, where like they have the compilation videos of like, they're like, I was only not, I was, I wasn't looking for like five minutes. And I'm like, your entire living room is covered in flour. That was not a five minute you, you were not in that room for much longer than five minutes. That is your TV, the dog, the coffee table. I know kids can do, like, I had some pretty interesting adventures with five minutes of granola bars. This was like, you were out of the room for at least 20 minutes for this to get in between like everything in your room. This was nuts. Like, yeah.
1: (laughs) I should invite my mom on to talk about what my brother, cousin, and I accomplished with baby powder in my grandma's room. Oh God. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear about Heather's childhood though, (laughs) but yeah, so that kind of covers what we really wanted to talk about today for crafting with kiddos, uh, whether you're the caregiver, the person doing the crafts, the parent leading crafts or whatever. Jesse and Courtney, do you guys have any parting
2: thoughts for our listeners? Do crafts with your kids, have patience, have fun.
1: Awesome. We will on the show notes I have compiled some books for parents including Quick Crafts for Parents Who Think They Hate Crafting. That one's my favorite personally even though I love crafts. Low Mess Crafts for Kids, Art Lab for Kids, Steam Lab for Kids, and then some actual like cited resources focused on Piaget's developmental stages and things like that. So those will be in the show notes for all of you. Um thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we would love to hear your ideas on crafting with kids and things that you guys have done with kids. So hit us up and thank you, Courtney. We love you. And I miss you so much.
0: Thanks Thanks for having me. It was super nice to actually get to meet you. So thank you for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, we
1: We hope to have Courtney on a future episode with our friend Tegan talking about mental health stigmas and crafting and conversations around that. So Oh, I'm excited. If you guys liked Courtney, let us know. If you didn't also let us know because we'll just like shun her. <laughs> I joke, I joke. You don't, we don't bully
0: here. The Gorgons don't bully. I bully um, Heather a little bit, but it's, little bit. it's okay. She likes it.
1: It's a little bit. She has to, she has to compensate for her size.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, everybody. We love you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Not-So-Crafty Gorgons. We really appreciate your support and we couldn't do any of this without you, our listeners. Cover art is by Marina Soul Art. Music is by Naveed, who is Amin Me on Fiverr. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or rating on whatever platform that you prefer. And for exclusive content with the Gorgons, including tutorials, swag, and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash notsocraftygorgons. For episode previews and other updates, follow us on Instagram at not underscore so underscore crafty underscore gorgons.